So to kick this thing off, my name is Evan Schwartz. I'm the CEO and founder over here at Beluga. Uh, same here, Schools Month is very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we started this initiative at the start of the pandemic back in 2020 when we realized that people were going through a lot. How do we support them? And what we found were conversations. Right? How do we start discussing what each one of us are feeling going through the positives and negatives? Uh, we work with a fantastic mental health and SEO program called Same Here. Uh, they're our direct partner on this conversation. Uh, they provide different communities support uh, from adults to children to athletes to musicians, but amazing initiative. Check them out, I'm sure. They're found their Eric Cusin will drop in at some point here as well. But to get this started, tonight we're discussing reigniting a passion for education. And we know the industry is going through pains. That's the nice way to say it these days, right? It's the end of the school year. The projections, and not only here in North America, but globally, uh, are not looking great, right? Where people are going, what the industry looks like in a few years, and you know what it has taken a toll on us over the last few years as well. So tonight we'll discuss you know, kind of how do we get excited again about learning? What does that look like from the student side? What does that look like from the admin side? And I have fantastic administrators on the conversation today. I cannot hype this group up enough. Uh, this was the one I circled on the calendar for Same Here Schools Month. And with that said, I'll be the moderator here, but we're going to have an open conversation. I'm just going to turn it over to our panelists today. I'm going to go in order that I see everyone. So Eric, you want to introduce yourself first? Good afternoon, everyone. I am Eric Youngman, Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning in Libertyville, Illinois. I've written some books about homework and also growth mindset, so I'm thrilled to be a part of this conversation. Eric, great to have you. Rachel, next. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm Rachel Tomlinson. I'm a head teacher in the northwest of England, so it's uh, it's 10 p.m. here, so it's evening for us. But I'm really delighted to be here. I'm always excited to do um, the same here month um, things with Evan. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Rachel, me. we appreciate you. An OG at this point who's participated, <laughs> I think, for the fourth year in a row now. Jeannie. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jeannie Armstrong. I'm the Superintendent of Faith, Equity, and Special Education Services in Peterborough, Ontario for a Catholic School Board here. So happy to be with everyone this evening. PJ. PJ Capozzi, Superintendent of Schools uh, for Meridian 223, located in Northwest Illinois. Um, happy to be here. And this is, I think, my second time engaging in these conversations uh, with you, Evan, and uh, with Beluga. And every time uh, I walk away um, inspired and uh, fully uh recharged so hopefully this has the same effect yeah we greatly appreciate you and last but not least derek yeah i'm derek Filkevich. uh don't read the name just it's much easier just to say it <laughs> Filkevich. uh anyway i am the superintendent of the corbett school district uh just outside of portland oregon great to have you here so for the listeners why do we have five administrators on the conversation, right? What do they know about reigniting education? Most administrators we think of are behind the scenes, dealing with paperwork, dealing with the headaches. Uh, these five are within the trenches. And I'm, I'm thrilled to bring them here today. Their work is inspiring, innovative, to say the least. And ideally, from this conversation, uh, people are able to take away bits and nuggets from it. And the best part about the spaces, and we'll see it already here, is that people are able to pop in. This session is recorded, so there's no pressure to go back and try to figure out, hey, where do I find this session after it's over? Uh, all these are available on their Same Here Schools Month on Apple and Spotify. Uh, links will be sent out through our Twitter handle, Beluga underscore, uh, along with the participants. Um, and we'll be just retweeting all these links as well for conversations throughout the month. But to kick this thing off, I really want to focus on a few different data points that we're seeing constantly. And here on this conversation, we have three different countries represented. We have the UK, we have Canada, and we have the United States. And from this group here, I personally took a step back and said, are the group facing the same challenges? Right, we hear about the mass migration away from the practice in the US. Uh, today, I think two in five teachers plan to quit in the next two years. Uh, we've seen over the last few years a 300,000 plus school teachers and staff members in the U.S. have left the practice. Uh, the numbers for 2023 and so on do not look better. It's much grim. I, I saw a projection the other day about half a million are leaving the practice. 
but then starting to look into the other countries and regions as well. Are they the same issues? So Canada is currently facing upwards about 40% of middle and primary school teachers leaving during their first five years. I mean, they're coming out of school wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and we're investing resources into this group, and then they're out the next day, right? As building leaders, and this group knows it better than anyone, it probably takes about three to five years to really build a culture and a feeling within a building. And in over the pond, what does this look like in the UK? I always think very similar structure to the United States. Uh, 44% of teachers in England plan to quit within the next five years. So you're looking at almost identical numbers across the board here, right? 40% in the US, 40% in Canada, and 44% in the UK. So something has to give, right? This is not a sustainable model, both physically uh, and mentally, right? We're discussing here tonight. So I want to start off to the group, really, just opening the floor and saying, you know, what are some contributing factors that you believe, again, both mentally and physically, that have worn down educators over the last few years? And, you know, I'll start this one with PJ. I think that, uh, I mean, obviously, I think we can't ignore the pandemic, but I think that when you look at the data in terms of job satisfaction, it was dipping uh, considerably well before the pandemic. But I do think the pandemic has exacerbated it. And I'll give one example. Um, that has impacted our district a ton. And I think that what happened when we were thinking, which it, you know, it literally was three years ago right now as we were kind of migrating through this and it feels like it was both yesterday and 30 years ago. So it's a very weird uh, situation. But as we went through, what, what occurred as we tried to teach students remotely for the first time is that teaching became a 24-7 job. And when we returned to quote-unquote normal, I think both we had conditioned our students, we conditioned our communities, and we conditioned ourselves that that's what this job was before. Um, and, and, and I'm sorry, that's what the job was now. And prior to that, while some teachers were connected all the time, there were kind of artificial and known barriers between when access was available. And so I think when the job in and of itself turned into a 24-7 lifestyle, as opposed to, you know, a 7.30 to 3.30 job, um, I think that that's exacerbated an issue that was growing um, well before the pandemic. And so the, the example I always give is we, we bought into one of the 24-7 online tutoring services, and I had to like almost strong arm my teachers into put this as your away message after 3.30 so that you feel less guilt when a kid needs help, um, because that was just a dramatic mental transformation that occurred as a direct kind of uh, corollary to being on 24-7 for those six to eight to 10 months at the outset of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, that's the double-edged sword of working from home as well, right? Where a lot of people got thrown into that fire. The final bell doesn't happen at that point. Rachel, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know even just following your Twitter and being connected over the last few years, you are very involved in the community, right? For your students, for your families and parents, what does it look like on your side from not only teachers getting worn down, but, you know, the community getting worn down in regards to education? Yeah, um, I think just just to reiterate um, what, what PJ just said, I think um, it's really interesting that the picture's the same kind of in all, all the, the three countries represented here. And, um, and, um, and I think that there's lots of contributive factors. And I think for the UK, maybe, um, I think, this situation has existed for, before the pandemic. Um, and, and actually, I think potentially it was paused during the pandemic because things got slightly easier in the UK. And I think for, for the UK um, teaching community, that there's a massive thing about accountability and um, massive, massive toxic accountability that's kind of pushed down on us and pressures from, um, you know, from, from inspection regimes and from testing regimes. Um, and I think, by and large, for, for the staff that I know, and, you know, we kind of exist in a bubble. I exist in, in much more of a bubble than your other speakers because I, I exist in one school, uh, by and large, but obviously, you know, with a big network. I think that that is really felt. And I think what happened after post-pandemic was that became um, felt even more um, because we'd had a bit of a pause from it. But also, I think parents and children felt that more more than they ever had before because 
they kind of experienced what it felt like to to not have teachers who felt like that. So I think that is a massive driver for us. And, you know, in the UK at the moment, there's lots of public sector um, distrust and disquiet about lots of things. And, and in education, certainly, it is about accountability and valuing of um, of what we do and, and what we offer to, to our community. So I think that that is sadly a massive driver for for uh, for, for us. Jeannie and Derek, I'm going to turn it over to both of you next because both of you have recently switched positions and switched locations right over the last five years each, um, going from building to district. What have you seen in regards to this type of concept, right? What is wearing down not only within the buildings, but at the district level as well? Jeannie, I'll start with you. Okay, great, Evan. So in addition to what Rachel and PJ were saying, you know, really there's a lack of educators feeling appreciated, um, whether that be support staff, teachers, administrators. When we talk about accountability, like Rachel was speaking about, there also, there's a great deal of evaluation in the realm of public opinion. And we've seen that really play out with contract negotiations and strikes um, pre and post COVID. And we see an increasing demand uh, placed on educators, regardless of role. Um, there's decreases in funding, there's changes in curriculum at a time when staff are supporting students coming out of a global pandemic. And we have students and families facing uh, what Michael Fullan calls in his recent book, The Principle 2.0, pandemic debris. And I really think that's what we're facing now. Um, the political reality, um, the divide that we see in the polarity with respect to religion and equity and diversity and so many other challenges um, politically, you know, in, in across the globe. Uh, that's kind of what we're seeing as well. And, um, you know, recovery will happen, I believe, through networks and anchored in relationships. And that's where uh, these forums are so important, Evan. Yeah, you, you know that global collaboration. And I have not heard that pandemic debris term yet. I'm fascinated by it. I wrote it down on my notes and definitely going to look into that deeper because it sums it up to the fullest. Derek, how do you feel about, you know, the overall concept and even parlaying Jeannie, you know, kind of taking a very similar pathway as her over the last few years, going from building to district and, and moving locations as well? Um, so, yeah, just to reiterate, um there's a there's a lot about job satisfaction right now um, amongst not just teachers but all educators um, and this goes beyond teachers like I, I just recently saw a study that um, in order for a principal to be effective they need to be in a building for five years that's when they reach their their peak of effectiveness and um, 18% of principals are leaving after year one and 50% of principals are leaving after year three. So it, it's not just teachers, but a lot of it has to do, I think, like I was amazed watching the public perception and the public outcries at the beginning of the pandemic about how amazing our teachers are. And thank you, teachers, for going above and beyond and immediately almost overnight the it switched to teachers aren't doing enough and like i saw my own teachers there they just got deflated where they were doing everything that they could and like pj said they were working 24 7 and then overnight it became not enough um and and they're just tired like literally I can see the exhaustion on their faces and like I'm heading into um, contract negotiations soon and I'm talking with my lead teachers. It's not even about money anymore. It's about time. It's about having the ability to just walk away and go home and not have to stress. The stress level is above and beyond what it's ever been um, in in education. Yeah, Derek, I, th I think, you know, from that side, it's how do we not only give them a break and the resources, but how do we let them teach again? Right? Like, uh, to me, education is probably one of the worst branded industries publicly. 
right? There, there's no sexiness factor about it at all anymore, right? It's go into the industry, get paid this amount of money, which we know in most parts of the world, it's way under-resourced. And also at the same time, you're handcuffed. And that formula where teachers aren't able to teach and do what they do best, you know, this is what we signed up for, right? Quote, unquote, it's draining people. And it's showing from the pandemic and it's showing every single day where, you know, these class sizes are going up. People are stressed out. You're having incidents, unfortunately, that are horrifying take place within a district, all because of all this weight that's added to the teacher plate. And, you know, on this question, too, I want to turn it over to Eric. And, you know, Eric, on your side, you probably talk about growth mindset more than anyone else I know, right? Especially publicly on Twitter. I know you've written a few books on this. Do you think it's a case of growth mindset from an industry perspective or an individual perspective relating to, you know, we are so worn down, what comes next year? Or are we just so far away from that type of concept? We need to kind of get back to fundamentals. I think there needs to be a collaboration and shared understanding of what we're talking about. And then from there, sure, individuals can have a growth mindset, as can corporations. But at the same time, we need to define it and target some of these stressors and see what they are and work smarter, not harder. Um, I think similar to what PJ said, I think there are some unreasonable expectations. I mean, by this time of the year, people are very fatigued. Um, but being an educator is an amazing responsibility and opportunity. So how can we, again, recognize what those expectations are and really deal with those stressors um, to help people as they make progress? I think a second thing when we're just looking at contributing factors is just that expected proficiency for a large number of topics. It's not just academics anymore. It's social and emotional needs. And I think this kind of aligns with what Jeannie and Derek were saying um, just where people have to do a lot, but they're also not appreciated. And so again, instead of just looking at that one content area, now we also have to teach a variety of other aspects and it's draining because they can't be an expert on everything. So again, as administrators, how can we support that? As parents, how can we recognize and work with educators? I think a lot of this needs to be collaborative. And then the third, I think biggest challenge is just that lack of partnership and support. Um, this is a time where students, because of technology and other situations, they probably have a shorter attention span than ever before. So we can't teach how we used to teach. Um, so I think, again, the recognition of these challenges that we are facing will then allow us to have a different mindset about it. But it really begins um, with understanding what are the stressors, how can we collaboratively target those, and then start to think differently collectively about it. So, Eric, I I'm going to push right back on you, too, on this one. You know, looking at what those stressors are, what have you seen on the other side of the coin? Right? What is actually working within some buildings? And, you know, as much doom and gloom that is over the industry, there are communities that are thriving. And those are clearly the ones that are adjusting, understanding that teaching and learning needs to be humanized. Right? As simple and as crazy as that might sound, right? we need to get back to recognizing this person is not a number. Right, their grades are important, but probably not the most important thing. Right? What does it look like from a success side in reigniting passion? I think there's probably two major things that I see, and they kind of combine a couple of different um, topics. But I think that vision, communication, and genuine interactions and relationships are critical. If we have that vision that narrows the scope, and we have great communication and those genuine interactions. I think people feel seen and they feel as if we're being collaborated with. Um, we can talk about empowering staff and student wellness, but again, we have to identify those stressors to really help people with that work-life balance. Um, we need to think through after work hours, let's stop sending those emails. Let's be cognizant of those obligations because those definitely are stressors. Um, the second thing I would talk about is structures supporting collaboration. How can we work more efficient and smarter rather than harder? Um, in Illinois, there's a lot of K-8 school districts, but how can we partner um, with other administrators, with other teachers, with other companies to work harder? We're all targeting a similar focus with how we're teaching and what we're teaching. So uh, how can we enhance that collaboration more? And again, I think another thing is to recognize the staff and students that we have. It's a younger generation now. So we have to differentiate and make some adjustments for that. Again, we can't just keep 
doing professional development the same way we used to. We have to recognize the changing needs that they have. So PJ, I'm going to throw it over to you on this one too, because Eric mentioned Illinois and, you know, shameless plug for uh, PJ, super humble guy, superintendent of the year this year in Illinois and up for national superintendent as well. So he had um, a big year and very well-deserved to say the least. PJ, now that you're you're out there, right? And I know you're doing a lot of PD. What are you seeing from the success side as well, both within the state and then even globally at this point? So I think what I'd say first and not to, to take a little bit of issue with maybe a little bit of the the conversation is that I do know, I, I know all the data points that we're, we're saying, and I know that those are accurate, but I also just the majority of schools, things are going pretty okay at worst, right? Like I think, um, and I think you said, Evan, directly, like we do a terrible job branding um, the the profession. I think that this is kind of part of it, right? Like, so I've been struggling a ton trying to figure out how I, how I want to package this as I'm speaking uh, but the the narrative of everything's so bad, we need more social emotional help, we're underappreciated, we're underfunded, we're undertaken care of. And then like the next minute we talk about the teacher shortage and then like it's like we're surprised. Well, it kind of feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy to me if we're only going to focus on the, the hard parts of the profession and the things that aren't going well and we're not going to talk about the things that are working, right? And so I think that there just in general, there's far more working than that there's not. But I also think that in some cases we have to, particularly as leaders, um, find a way to acknowledge that it's been tough, but also find a way to to be a cheerleader. And um, part of the the phraseology that Eric used is what I say I use all the time as well is that we have this amazing opportunity, but it's an incredible responsibility, and that's why. I still think that I have the best job in the world, right? Is that every day I've got this amazing opportunity to, to steer a ship, um, which is my district. And if I do well, I'm impacting the lives of all of the 300 adults that work with me and the, and the 2000 kids and the community it serves. And this is an, a massive, massive opportunity. Um, but I think for us, like part of it is, is focusing on, you know, like, to me, it's a three-pronged sword where I see success. One is empathy, deploying the empathy, understanding where people are at, um, working really hard to, to put yourself into their shoes and understand what it's like to be a support staff member, a bus driver, a teacher, an administrator in that position. Um, but then also helping them to take ownership of the situation, right? Like I, I sincerely believe in a quote that's hanging on a bunch of the walls in the schools of my district is like, successful people usually believe in two things. One is that the future can be better than the present is two that they have agency in making it. So it's like, we have to take ownership over that situation. And then we have to find joy. We all went into this job for something, right? And so whatever that joy is, we have to go after it and exploit it. If we just keep focusing on the negative, which to be absolutely transparent, there's two particular times within, you know, the last three years, that's all I focused on. And it brought me down to really dark depths. But the, the way that I found myself you know, to move out of that. Like, I remember when I was in my, my darkest place, one of my coaches said to me, is there anything that the governor could do to fix this for you? Because I was complaining about the politics of the day. And that really helped me understand, like, my only way forward was me. And at some point, we have to take ownership as hard as it is and acknowledge where people are currently at in order for us to move forward. And I think that's the only way that we can do this is if we become the biggest possible cheerleaders of our own industry. PJ, I love what you said there. Let me ask you this for the listeners. What does that look like on an everyday basis for them, right? Like taking ownership, it's hard, right? There's family, there's work, there's this, there's that. I find that most people, education or other industries as well, they fill their cup last, right? And that's what's bringing them down so much. How do they actually take time to find that joy again? So I think the first part is, trying to deeply understand what that means for each person, right? So like what brings me joy isn't going to bring somebody else. But we all have these like literally neural pathways that are constructed that bring us joy into what we're doing in the job and just finding the way to do that. Because even like, so for me, what I found is that the thing that brings me the most joy in my job is having conversations with other leaders and helping to grow their capacity. That is what fires me up. Um, it's the same way that like I used to love having those conversations with kids when I figured out that I loved having conversations with adults the same amount as when I felt like I was ready to become a superintendent. 
during the pandemic, I was so busy managing problems. I was so busy responding to everybody else's needs that those types of leadership conversations became not only secondary, but tertiary. And I just never got to them. And so once I started to do an analysis of whether I could find joy in the job again, I just, I went through and I'm like, what brings me joy? Like I had to do a mental inventory of it. And then I started to program my day. Now, I know that if you're a teacher listening to this, you'll be like, well, that's easy. You can program your day. You're the superintendent. Well, most likely whatever brings you joy if you're a teacher is in the classroom. So what is it? Is it connecting with kids? Is it the five extra minutes of conversation? Is it showing up to the extracurricular activity? Like Whatever that happens to be for you, and I think all of us are independently different, I think that we can intentionally program that. But we can't do that if we are just waiting for somebody else to save us or to make it easier. And like, I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but I every 20-year 25 year and 30 year teacher that I've ever talked to, nobody has told me, oh yeah, it just gets way easier. Like education has continually gotten harder. There's nothing out there that's going to come and make this a a very easy profession. And that's not why most of us got into it. So for me, it's like embrace the hard part, own what we can do and move forward. And all of that while acknowledging that, you know, we went through a really, really hard couple of years. For some people, it was trauma. For some people, it was distress. Wherever you're at is okay. And we should know that and acknowledge it. But it can't, we, I, I think that we've just stopped having the conversation of, of finding individual joy and taking ownership of where we are and believing the future can be better than the past and believing that we have the ability to make our own futures better. Yeah, I, I don't think there's enough emojis to uh, applaud that one. I, th- I think, you know, taking that time and also understanding that no industry is supposed to be easy, right? It, it doesn't matter what it is. And at the same point, if it was supposed to be easy, you're probably not here anymore within this industry because you just didn't have that DNA to begin with. And that's perfectly fine as well. Rach, I'm going to throw it over to your side because I know your school of Barrowford uh, is a change maker school, right? And to me, every single time I interact with your students, with your staff, uh, there's a whole lot of positivity taking place. And I also know you are a major global collaborator, right? What does that reigniting look like within your building? And then what advice would you give to others listening on this, you know, where they could bring that type of energy and excitement into their buildings as well? Okay, so I've just written, I've been writing lots of things down to, to try and answer this. And DJ stole almost every single one of my lines. So, because um, the first thing I wanted to say is, it is the best job in the world. We, we are all privileged to do the best job in the world. Um, and I'm just going to reiterate that. Um, and, you know, and I think our job as, you know, head teachers, as education system leaders, is to keep it like that. Um, because, as you say, it's, it's, you know, it is the same job as it's always been. We are there to, to curate this. And um, and I think one of the phrases that we use quite a lot in our school is that we can make the weather and, you know, our teachers make the weather for the children in the classroom. And again, as leaders, we make the weather in, in our schools, in our systems for, for those teachers working within them. And, um, you know, and I, I wrote joy down um, and it's about recapturing the joy. And I see my role as a head teacher um, to, to kind of create the space for our, our educators, our staff. Um, and, you know, and there is a lot of them within the building, um, to, you know, to, to kind of almost create that space um, for, for those staff to be able to, to be able to do what they came in the job to do and to be able to, to have those micro interactions to um, that, that create a really safe space to learn, that create a really exciting place to learn, that, that you know we can provide those really incredible experiences for our children to create change as you say and um you know that's what i see my job as and i think that there's a there's a thing about yes our children are different because each generation is different and and i think potentially when it is difficult it's because we don't respond to the children that we have and i think sometimes you know school leaders school administrators are, are stuck in in kind of that groove where we start to believe that, that the children are for the school rather than the school is for the children. And um, and it's about giving our teachers the agency to respond to the children that they've got in the classroom and to respond to what's going on in the world as well. And, you know, and to kind of buffer all the other nonsense because it's, it, you know, it is too easy to be affected by the nonsense. So let's buffer, buffer us all from, from that nonsense and create a system where, teachers where children where parents don't need to recover from it because actually it is of great joy to be part of it um at the time as well so so yeah so that that's kind of where where i'm at really we we need to 
to, to keep that a really safe space to, to have the job. Yeah, and that connection. Listen, one of the main reasons, you know, from my side personally, why I got into the industry was looking at just the material that our students are consuming outside of the classroom, mm. right? And it's driven so much by a narrative from the media. And doesn't matter what channel or political party you assign to, you know, it's, it's a lot of garbage, right, that is getting pumped out. And like PJ yeah. said, you know, there's a dark cloud over the industry. And if you keep looking at the dark cloud, well, things are going to be dark, right? But we also, Rachel, yeah. I love what you said. Teachers have the ability to dictate the weather in their classroom. You probably said it much more eloquently than I did. But that's a great line to really drive home, right? Like, we still control it. Sure, there's check marks that we have to hit and, you know, regulations that we have to hit. But on an everyday basis, how do we bring that excitement and joy back in? And Jeannie, I'm going to turn it over to you on this one as well, because you and me years ago have been connected. Um, and, you know, just amazing growth journey on your side as well. Really over, you know, specific indicators, right? With the sustainable development goals and understanding, you know, how do we bring that connection from the classroom to the community? Do you think the goals or, or things along those lines, right? Key indicators and playing into student interest and even teacher interest, right? Can bring that passion back within a building? Absolutely, Evan. And, you know, I think what we've gained is an incredible opportunity to transform our systems. And I'm filled with hope in uh, the people, the staff that I get to work with, the brilliant people that I work with each and every day. And I think what it's taught us is we can't look back. We have to look forward, face forward, keep moving forward. And we have to really develop futures thinking and think differently about uh, how we frame education. And we've done that in our system beautifully. So we recognize that we had to have uh, a pause and a reset and to really critically analyze if what we're doing is working. And what we have recognized is the importance of those community hubs and global partnerships that's really going to provide that transformative uh, frame for education. And we've really focused on creating a culture of belonging founded on relationship focusing on deep learning, universal design for learning, a renewed commitment to mental health and well-being and relationship. And uh, something similar to what Rachel said, you know, to give the autonomy to our staff and to also support them um, in, in recognizing that they have the skills uh, and the knowledge and the supports and the frame to do what they do best. And we really um, found a lot of joy in... Um, in supporting the work of Dr. David Tranter. And so our board is heavily invested in the third path, which is a relationship-based approach to student well-being and achievement. Um, and we've really looked at transforming how we provide professional development. It involves restorative practice, um, not just self-regulation and social-emotional learning, but all of those pieces through the lens of belonging and equity. And I'm just so excited about what's ahead for us as a system, both locally, uh, regionally, nationally, internationally, because I think we're on the edge of uh, something really big in education. And, and I think, um, you know, as so many people have said, uh, we have a, a golden opportunity here to transform the way we do things. And so we have to break down those walls, exactly what we're doing this evening on this podcast. We have to create those connections uh, worldwide and uh, be able to share the best practices um, that we're all engaging in on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm going to take that part, the, the sharing part, and start even mapping out further. And, you know, going over to Derek, Derek, you're coming from one of the largest school districts in the United States, you know, 300,000 plus students, which... Rach, these are massive numbers, right, compared to some in the UK and Jeannie even in Canada as well. Uh, but Derek now leads a smaller district within Oregon. What are you seeing coming from, you know, that big, realistically bureaucratic system to now ideally, and I'm, I'm, I know you, I know you know it, knowing every teacher, knowing every student, right? Like, what does that look like on a personalized level, you know, within the community itself? Wow, Evan, you could not have led better into what I have in my notes as to what I wanted to touch on. <laughs> um, so one of the things uh, that I think is frustrating teachers and educators the most is when they're micromanaged. Um, we and, and I remember I had a boss uh, 
a long time ago that I greatly respected. And he used to tell me, you hire good people and you get out of their way. Um, you don't hire good people and then you keep them in a little box. And so I think like having just recently left my previous position um, as principal of a middle school, it it's interesting when you leave a position and not just leave, but leave the district, leave the city, leave the state. Um, there's a lot of time for reflection, not just for me, but my staff reflected on the, the last five and a half years that we spent together. And a lot of the feedback they gave me was that the thing they appreciated the most was that I provided them freedom to be professionals. Um, I didn't get in their way. And when they asked me if they could do something, I said, instead of saying, well, I'm not sure, we'll have to check with someone, my immediate answer was, can you do it bigger? Um, and so they really appreciated that. They also appreciated the fact that I asked their opinions. Um, whenever I made a decision, I knew that they were the ones who were going to be affected. So they needed to tell me what direction we should be going and how we were going to do it. I set the pie in the sky as to, okay, this is the goal, but you as the teachers are going to tell us how we're going to get there because you're the ones who are going to have to do the heavy lifting. Um, and that also builds leadership amongst that team. And they want to be pushed, but you have to know how and when to push someone but you also have to know when to hold back for a second. And that goes back to then knowing your staff members, getting to know them on a personal level. Like you had mentioned, Evan, um, one of the things I love doing is, and I did that when I got here in Oregon, first thing I did was I asked my secretary to put on my calendar every staff member and every teacher's birthday, because I want to acknowledge that special day for every single person. Um, I go, and if, if it's during the school day, I will go and personally wish them a happy birthday in front of their class. Um, if it's on a weekend, I'll send them a text message. But on that day, and I still do that for people I've worked with in the past, because it's just that special thing that doesn't take a lot that really shows that you care about them as a person. Um, and that's, those are the types of things that really inspire teachers and, and everyone. Everyone likes to be acknowledged. It inspires people to want to do more. And that, I think, helps with that whole burnout piece. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to parlay that before I even jump on to the next topic. So I'll ask the group here and, you know, open to all the speakers. What do those little acknowledgements look like in your district? Because I, I think, you know, it goes back to the concept of how do we humanize education again, right? How do we understand we're probably spending more time with our work family than our family back at home, right? During the days. What does that look like for the speakers here? Those little actions that go a long way. So for me, I would say that it it is incumbent to stay authentic in this process. So um, our, our leadership team right now is reading The Power of Moments, which is a, a book that's largely centered around these things. How do we can take the little things and make them bigger for our people so that they feel acknowledged and honored and valued? That said, the reason we're reading it is because this is not a strength of mine, right? So I am not one that is by default going to celebrate um I actually own a shirt that says nobody cares, work harder, right? Like that's much more my mindset. Um, so for me, in order to show people that I value them, it's about like actual real deep connection. So I am, I am not going to be the one that is great at always expressing gratitude. So I, I do so in the most authentic way I can for me with, with my people, which um, is a lot of text messages, a lot of calls, a lot of knowing about who they are as a human being. But I will say, that that um, for me is like it's it's a labor because it is not by default who I am. Um, and I also think that my people, if I started to do a bunch of the ideas that like 
sound amazing on Twitter or, uh, you know, whatever, they would think I had lost my damn mind, right? Because that is so, like, abnormal and so against my typical personality. So I think that whatever anyone takes from this or listens, it's like, figure out how it is authentically for you. So it is it is authentically me to send a text message to my team at 515 in the morning, a member of my team, and ask them how their kid's soccer game went because I'm thinking about that for them and I care about that and I know they care about it. Um, it's not going to be authentic for me to like stop by with like donuts on Friday. Like, so figure out whatever it is for you and, and do it to the, to the maximum extent that you have possible um, within yourself. You know, you know what, PJ, that's, that's so funny because um, I'm the exact same way as you. I am not good at this, this, I, I think it's a game. Um, and, and that's why I kind of, so uh, Funny story, my first year as an assistant principal, um, I started the year by I was going to do these great things with my teachers, the ones I supervised. So I sent out a um, a questionnaire asking them all these personal questions. What's your favorite book, your favorite um, hobbies and things like that? And then I made sure on their birthday, again, going to the birthday thing on their birthday, I got them a little five dollar something. And I got there before they did, and I made sure it was on their desk and, and with a small card that just said, happy birthday. I thought nothing of it. It was, it was silly to me. But when I left that school, one of the teachers gave me a small gift. And in the card, she said that you probably don't even remember this, but that meant more to me. And that's what got me through the end of the school year was the fact that you cared enough and you did that. Um, and that's where I started then just the simple thing of the birthday to me was an easy one. Um, but I agree with you. It, it's about finding your niche and, and not trying to do something that someone else is going to do that isn't authentic to you. If I can jump in here too, Evan, it's just for me, it's about taking that time, really giving everyone the gift of time. And, um, you know, it, our days are very busy, but when you do have that time with your staff to um, listen more than you speak, and when they give feedback or help give advice about next steps that you actually listen and act on that advice. And it's, it's really important for me always as a leader to have an open door policy and to be out Um, talking to the staff, talking to the teachers. Uh, We had a professional development session today and uh, again, engaging staff in in honest feedback and and finding out more about them as uh, the other listeners have mentioned too. So it's really um, finding those opportunities for connection, authentic connection as the other speakers have indicated. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Eric. Can I just just chip in? I think for for me, exactly that. It's about being authentic, but also it's, you know, all all of the above, you know, those small, again, those small interactions, because we know that's what makes relationships go around, isn't it? But um, and and having authentic relationships, which will look different for for each member of staff. Um, But also acknowledging that, that these guys are people too, and, you know, and that, you know, we we kind of go, you know, if, you, if your child's got a, a Christmas play or if your child's doing something at school or, you know, something's going on for your family, then of course that you take that time off because, you know, those things, life happens once and, it, you know, and, and this is ultimately, although it has become a lifestyle, I agree, ultimately this is a job. So, you know, it's, it's, it's again, recognising that, that people are people and, and have lives outside of school that they need to, um, that they need to, to be able to enjoy and be there, you know, as a whole person and be present for those things for the, for their family too. Yeah. My example would just be for staff appreciation. Recently we've been just sending them taffy apples and this year we went to each of the classrooms and hand delivered them as administrators. And we also gave them a raffle ticket where they could win gift cards or a half day off and we substitute for them. And again, seeing their natural and genuine reactions and then hearing some feedback afterwards, I just think it was appreciated. We have uh, a hand raised from the audience. I think it's Andre, if you want to jump in. Hi, is everybody doing? This is Dr. Townsville, superintendent in the state of Maryland. Uh, One thing for me that I do that is definitely amazing in our community is that we often 
go to our schools for any and everything. For example, I'm driving to our, one of our high school's senior award, and that's why I'm presenting a superintendent's award. But everything that happens going to, whether it's me visiting a math class or going to a chess club at an elementary school and showcasing and highlighting those educators and some of the amazing lessons that take place on our social media platforms, ladies and gentlemen, it goes viral. The community loves it. The morale is up. Any and everybody that I meet with personally always receive a thank you for meeting with me card, handwritten from myself and mailed to them uh, for my assistance. So the goal is just to, um, I heard someone talk about how the field of education is marketed, and I agree with that. A part of you know the passion that I have for education is to change the trajectory of what the field looks like. Um, the, the field is not attractive in today's society. It's one of the uh, toughest jobs next to law enforcement, in my personal opinion. Uh, but I do believe if we can continue to tell our own story, to not allow other people to tell the story, and share good news like it's bad news. When you take that approach and don't become, um, uh, quote unquote, victims to people's opinions and negative mindsets, I really think we can change the trajectory of the field of education's perception moving forward. And I'll land my plane there. And Dr. Townsville, I know you're driving, but you just got a hell of a lot of emojis coming in through the chat. So we appreciate you sharing on that one, too. Um, on this side, and, you know, I was going to take this question in a different route. But what I love about this conversation is we've really focused on the positives, right, of education as opposed to the negatives. And I think that's something that this industry needs to hear. Uh, the world needs to hear, to be honest, right? Education isn't just doom and gloom. And it's not going to burst and our, you know, our, our kids are okay. We just need to make some tweaks here. You know, based on that type of concept of, I'll go back to the marketing and the branded side of education. We know what the media says about it. We know what traditionally, you know, the educator scapegoats are feeling these days, right? After the last few years of, hey, you were heroes at one point and now just do your job, right? I saw a tweet of that the other day and I find that people are really feeling that, you know, that pain of we were so appreciated and now it's just want, 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 right? We're back to the same old, same old. We're running from this space, right? What do we need to do as a society to change the narrative, right? Initially, it, this was going to focus more on what happens if we don't, but how do we change this narrative as leaders, as community members, uh, as parents even, right, for future generations, not only for the teachers within our building, but for our kids as well? And, you know, I'll start that um, with Eric on this one. Yeah, I think in the end, I think we have to think of what is this an opportunity to do? And I think a great example right now is with artificial intelligence. So, you can look at AI or chat GPT as something that can create challenges. But if we look at it as a technology that can enhance planning and collaboration engagement, I think we have to shift our mindset as we're looking at some of these challenges. And even if you are looking on Twitter, if you're reading the news, if you're at conferences, it usually starts by talking about the challenges of it as they look through the lens of kids using it for homework. But how can students use it as their first draft? How can teachers use it to write a lesson plan? How can they add more specificity to enhance efficiency? So I think a lot about it is shifting our mindset. Dr. Townsville, I see your hand up as well if you got a question you want to patch in on. Absolutely. I was going to share the, the issue that, that I see is, you know, everyone getting motivated at the top of the school year. Everyone's fired up. Human resources department fired up. Teachers fired up. Students fired up. Parents fired up. But we've always heard that term of burnout. So when I th it makes me think of what a colleague shared about is the anatomy of a fire. First, how do you activate that schema? Keep that spark from the beginning where people get excited. And then there's the flame. The flame gets the roaring. The flame gets the going. Then the fire comes and then the burn. How do you keep the fire burning throughout? And one thing that we do in our communities, we do checkpoints. I do something called Let's Talk series on a quarterly basis, if not more than that. I'm always checking the pulse, not only on staff and administrators, but with our parents doing listening forums. One of the things that 
caused some of the uh, confusion in some cases in the field of education and the lack of trust is the lack of trust and that transparency piece. There are some words that are now considered negative words in the field of education, words in the past like social and emotional learning. Some people use that as weapons now. Words in the past like uh, diversity is now used as weapons. But how can we be transparent and face the fear and in some cases the lack of trust from some of our stakeholders in the field of education and just talk to them human to human, person to person and keep that that fire burn and keep that passion going and I'll land my plane. Rachel, I see your hand up. Yeah, I'm just trying to get in before PJ before he steals all my notes. Um, we have been <laughs> running, running in my notebook. Um, I just think for me, part of what, what we can do as educators to, to kind of redefine that narrative is just carry on doing what we're doing. You know, let the children be our advocates because that's all, you know, or, or you know, you it, can't blow our own trumpets, at, you know, because we try and do that and, and, um, but if we go out and let our children be our advocates, if we create the spaces um, where, where our children can um, really grow and develop into the human beings that we're going to need to, you know, save the planet and, and save the world. And, and at school, we talk a lot about being good human beings, doing good human doings. And that's what our curriculum drives forward. Our children being good human beings, doing good human doings, changing their world changing the world and you know and that will only happen if teachers do do their job right and you know so when when our children are coming out into the world and doing those things then people can't but acknowledge that that teachers um do a great job and one of the things that, that we talk about quite a lot is is um the parable of the hummingbird and, and i don't know if you know the parable of the hummingbird if you don't i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna talk about it now because it'll take too long but but go and google the parable of the hummingbird but you know one of our things is that, that we all go out and we be a little bit more hummingbird every day we go out and we do what we can and actually by doing that we, we will change that narrative because our children will speak for us Derek I see your hand up oh, that might have just been an emoji Derek was that a hand or an emoji I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> no forgot to turn my mic on. Um, I, to me, I'm, I'm going to go back to what Mr. Townsell or Dr. Townsell said about um, I, I think it's branding. Um, and, and I think it's about like I think that social media is such a powerful tool, but we have to be able to control it. We have to control the word that is being said about us in our district and our teachers and our students. Um, and we've got to be on the forefront of that before someone else brands us. Uh, and, and it's about shouting praise um, from the rooftops. Um, and so every time something amazing happens, or even if it's a small thing, put it out there and let everybody see it. Um, I, when I just got to this district, um, they had turned off the comments on our Facebook page because a couple of years ago, it had gotten so negative that uh, they turned off the comments. And one of the first things I did was turn the comments back on because I want people, even if sometimes, yes, we're going to get a negative comment, but majority of the comments are positive. And when we're putting out positive things and people are commenting positive, it just snowballs into greatness. Jeannie, I saw your hand up there as well. Yeah, I was just going to add, Evan, you know, just what everyone has said around the importance of communication, you know, to gather input from all of our partners, our community partners, our staff, our students, our parents, um, to articulate and celebrate what's going well, and to put that out there as um, I think Derek had said. And the other idea that we've presented tonight is around connection, to being present for all of our partners and for staff and students etc. And then also the connection with the community. And so, you know, the community is essential. We need to continue to break down the barriers and walls of our system and really create those connections, um, bo both within and outside of our, uh, our school systems. And PJ, I see your hand up as well. I think that part of what we have to consider is who and what we're listening to, right? So to go back to your original question, as to kind of were inundated with, you know, sometimes negative feedback. As many of the data sources we want to go through, like the data source that 
I always tend to trust is if people think the entire education system is in shambles, they still typically think that their school is doing a pretty good job. So I think what we're doing is taking a bunch of collective data or a collective feedback, and then we're taking that as the predominance of truth. And so I think that, you know, I think we need to believe our eyes a little bit, right? Like, and believe what happens when we walk through our own schools and when we invite people into our schools and to see what is actually taking place. I just am so um, fortunate in my role as kind of speaking and consulting. I've seen some of the most high-performing schools in the country, and I've seen and been in some of the, the worst and lowest-performing schools in the country. And I will tell you that even in those schools that are really, really struggling and need a dramatic amount of support and turnaround, there's still some pretty darn amazing things taking place. And so I, I just believe so deeply in the power of what we have in front of us as an opportunity that like, I think that within every criticism that is levied, there's a nugget of, of truth and that it's our job as leaders to parse that out. But I also think that um, there is a just an overwhelmingly silent majority of people that are pretty content with what is taking place in their schools. And I'd say that that's not, it extends beyond content for most people who actually have school age students in school receiving education right now. And again, I think it's the silent majority and I don't think we take the time to unearth their satisfaction often because we're so busy paying attention to the dissatisfaction of a very vocal minority of people that is not representative of the collective. And I'd say as leaders, um, as one of my best friends in the business, uh, Todd Whitaker says all the time is, as leaders, when we sneeze, the whole building catches a cold. So when we listen and react and respond to the negativity, as opposed to promoting the positivity, then what do we expect our teachers are gonna do? As leaders, we get the behaviors we model and we tolerate. And so when we are modeling a responsive, reactive um, mindset to negativity that's coming forward, instead of being proactive in modeling positivity, I think that we're getting a self-fulfilling prophecy industry-wide. So there's a lot to unpack after all those comments, and they're fantastic, right? I want to be respectful of everyone's time here today. We said an hour on this one. But my big takeaway is how do we get loud about the positivity? Right? We're talking about reigniting a passion for education, but it's there. Right. That's one of the most important things to me after this conversation is it's there within the building. It's just getting drowned out by the noise and the negativeness. Right. And that goes for our society in general. If you look on the news, the great story about a community leader that saves someone or doing amazing things locally gets about two minutes. And the clickbait headline that's bringing everyone down gets the next 35 minutes. You know, social media, the exact same way. These algorithms are built literally to pump more content in that is going to keep us there. As a closing point, you know, from the panelists here today, what comes next? What can you give to the listeners to not implement, you know, in five weeks from now, 10 weeks from now when a new school year starts, but tomorrow, right? How do we start this positivity and this passion immediately? And, you know, I'll start it just based on time zones. I'll start it over to Rachel. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for me, really, just have a conversation with the child and they'll remind you why you do your job and, and, you know, and then go through your day smiling because that's why we do it. Jeannie. Yeah, I totally agree with Rachel. I think it's continuing to be connected with um, the people that we serve each and every day and celebrating the people that we serve each and every day. It's as simple as that. We'll go Eric next. I would say empathetically learn with a growth mindset, listen to people and be coachable. PJ. I think that um, if you're going to do one thing, I would just encourage people to take inventory and whether that's a six month, a 12 month or a three year inventory. And I'd encourage you to do all of it to see exactly how far and how fast we've come and then to celebrate the heck out of that. When we're in the middle of the journey, sometimes we forget the distance that we've traveled. And I think that as leaders, it's important that we call out the growth that has taken place and celebrate the heck out of it. And our West Coast guy, Derek. Uh, I'd say be present, um, be out and about, be out in the community, um, 
talking, but more importantly, listening and just be reflective. Um, and just like PJ said, look at where you came from and um, just think about what direction you're heading. Fantastic. And that puts a great bow in it. And, you know, the reflection is something I will definitely do after this conversation. There was so much information shared. Again, for the listeners, this recording will be available throughout our account on Twitter, also on Apple and Spotify. We recently partnered with the B Podcast Network. So these will be on demand for anyone to go back to and listen. Uh, one big takeaway from the community here tonight, as well as connect, right? Connect, collaborate, uh, and keep pushing forward. On that side, I'm going to sign this one off. I want to be respectful, again, of everyone's time, but incredible conversation here by the group. I greatly appreciate all the speakers, all the listeners. Again, my name is Evan Schwartz. Uh, this is Same Here Schools Month, and we look forward to having everyone involved in future conversations. Thanks a lot.